Hello, and welcome back to the Wheel Talk Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. With me today, as always, Gracie Elvin. Hey, hey. Good uh, good day, everyone. I really know what to say. feel like I've been off the pod for weeks. (laughs) It's only been one week. I know. (laughs) Feels like more. (laughs) And Matt Deneve. Hello, bike friends. How are we all going? You know, good. Good. We got some some good, good bike good racing. Good chat. Great chat. Good and chat. the end. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. We've got some great bike racing to talk about today, but before we dive into that, this episode of the Wheel Talk podcast is supported by the members of the Escape Collective. Head on over to escapecollective.com slash join to join up. We want you to support Escape Collective in a way that suits you best. So you can become a member for unlimited access to the website content, content with our editors and the Escape community on Discord and stay in the loop on our weekly member newsletters. If Discord isn't your thing and you're not super interested in newsletters, but you want to support what we do, consider signing up as a reader, which will still get you unlimited access to all the great content we publish on theescapecollective.com. Become a member. Join theescapecollective.com slash join. Thank you. And if you do sign up and you think Discord isn't your thing, I would encourage you to have a bit of a poke around and and try it out because while it is a little bit is a bit involved to start with, the community there as we talk about every week is is pretty amazing and uh I always enjoy going through the Wheel Talk um community there and other communities just to see what's uh what's happening and it's yeah, it's a pretty pretty cool bunch of people really. Yeah, I think if you like hone in on the channels that really interest you, like I pretty much only pay attention to three channels because it is a little bit overwhelming at first. But there's like the Wheel Talk channel. Wheel Talk channel is awesome because it's everyone who listens to this podcast and all of us are on there all the time with like if you have any questions or anything. Like somebody asked the other day, like how Tom's and I met. Like, great question. <laughs> I would love to tell you. <laughs> um, a super cute answer too, by the way. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> um, so yeah, we talk about stuff that's not just bike related on there. There's the music channel. And if you if you don't know, Matt and I actually have another podcast called The Album Files that is back. So we get to talk about that a little bit on the music channel. Um, not affiliated with the Escape Collective. And then there's also <laughs> there's also like a bunch of parents on there. So you can like chat with other parents of kids that ride bikes and stuff like that. And that's super cool. So there's a couple like, and there's something for everyone on there. So it's really like, yeah, definitely a community worth kind of diving into. Even if, as Matt said, it's a little daunting when you open Discord and it's just complete chaos. But once you weed through the chaos, it's like, oh, okay, this is fine. <laughs> anyway all right should we talk about some bike racing i think what do you guys think probably we should vote okay cool (laughs) (laughs) should we start with plue or start with transfers let's go transfers we have just a couple transfers since we last talked about them claire steals to movistar she had an awesome race on saturday at gp to plue um i think she's a great Great addition to that team. Caroline Swinkles to AD, UAE ADQ, which is a very interesting move for her and quite a loss for Yumbo Visma, if I do say so. Yeah, interesting. I think she really showed some value this year and someone's wanting to pay a little bit more for that, so good for her. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Um, Femke Gerritse from Park Hotel Valkenburg to SC Works. She's been kind of floated around as like, quote, the next Demi Vollering. I hate that. But 
she is quite an exciting prospect and I think it makes all the sense in the world that she would be picked up by by SC Works. They love that Park Hotel kind of feeder mm-hmm. situation that they have. That's where Weebus came from, although she made a pit stop in DSM before coming to SC Works. And and obviously Volering went straight from there to, into SC Works. Yeah. It's a great system. Yeah. I think uh, Garitza kind of got on a lot of people's radar at the Tour last year, the Tour de France Femme of Swift. She was uh, in the QOM jersey for, I think it was four days there in the middle um, as part of that Park Hotel Volkenberg squad that did a really good job in that competition. And yeah, like you say, Abby, there's a bunch of riders come from that squad and they're obviously doing something right over there, picking up young, talented riders early on and and providing a really nice pathway for them. I do have uh, one thing to... I, I would love to ask an SD Works rider, like, of course, if a new rider is signed to that team, it means they've been flagged as, you know, an up-and-comer, someone to develop and someone with some talent under the hood. And so do they feel excited to have another engine on the team or a bit threatened, you know? Like, is that some mixed feelings there when they have new signings like this? That's such a great question, Gracie. And I was actually thinking the same thing. Like, I know... I wonder, I would imagine Anna Vanderbregen, when they picked up Demi Vollering, kind of saw it as an exciting thing because she had already announced her retirement and she was already kind of nearing the end. So their dynamic was really cool to watch in the end of, of Vanderbregen's career. But then I feel like maybe for Demi, who's really only in the very beginning of her career, having them sign someone like Femke, like maybe she does feel a little bit threatened. Yeah, I wouldn't be. I mean, look, it's it's kind of the way that the world works and the way that bike racing works. Yeah. Like you're always kind of on edge, no matter who you are. You're always on edge a little bit. Yeah, and I think it, they all just push each other to be better anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think depending on who you are, that might even motivate you even further to to stay ahead of the the pack, as it were. Mm. Um, to keep those young whippersnappers behind you. And yeah, and while Gritzer is a, a good rider, she's still got quite a few years before she'll be at Demi's level. So um, yeah, I think Demi doesn't need to worry too much just now. But yeah, if anything, it might just motivate her further. And seeing more riders come from that same team is probably motivating as well. Yeah. Well, if nothing else, uh, she won't be going under the radar wearing that jersey next year. <laughs> it's not possible. <laughs> Probably the most interesting transfer news of the week. Zoe Backstead moves to Canyon Stram with immediate effect. Um, she's been on EF Tipco Silicon Valley Bank and was doing both cyclocross and road for them. And so Linda Jackson said in a statement that it was important for her to get Zoe onto a new program before the cyclocross season since that EF Tipco Silicon Va- Valley Bank team will fold um, at the end of this year as we know it. Um We've talked about it before, but not folding entirely, but folding, yes, as it is. So Zoe Back said to Canyon Stram, which is a very interesting move, I think makes sense in terms of Zoe Back said, very versatile rider, will add a lot to Canyon Stram, and also can be a great representative for Canyon and Stram in multiple disciplines. She's obviously like an incredible cyclocross racer as well, world champion over there. So I think it's a great move. I personally would not want to be directed by my father but that is not that i don't love him like love the guy (laughs) but i do remember when he was like my soccer coach when i was like six it wasn't a great dynamic so (laughs) yeah it's a tricky tightrope 
tight rope to walk, isn't it? Because you you don't want to be favoring your kid and giving them preferential treatment above anybody else, but you also don't want to go too far the other direction and kind of freeze them out in front of everybody else. And yeah, I don't envy either of them in that situation, actually. Um, and I hope it, it works out for them. I think I wish that she'd been picked up by Trek because I would have loved to see like the two Baxed sisters racing together on the same team. And it would have been the same situation as far as like being able to support her goals in multiple disciplines with like the best equipment. And I think she also would have added to that team. So I, I was a little bit surprised, but also not surprised to see this transfer. What's cool is that it's literally right away. Like, um, today or as we're recording Tuesday is the start of the CMAC ladies tour and she's on the provisional start list for Canyon Ram, which would be wild. Like imagine you're racing for EF Tipco <laughs> SVB like last week. And then this week you're on <laughs> Canyon Ram. <laughs> she's got a three year deal as well. It looks like so, uh, plenty of time to find her groove there and even more, uh, no, till, till 31st of, uh, August, 2026, apparently. So, uh, yeah, three years. So that's a, a decent contract. And I think cycle cross contracts I, are so weird. <laughs> I'm surprised. Well, I'd forgotten how young she is. She's still only 18, like still such a good rider for such a young rider and a lot of time still to develop. So yeah, hopefully she, she gets into a, a nice groove over there. As of recording on Tuesday, like two hours before the start of the CMAC Ladies Tour, she's still on the start list for that uh, as Canyon Ram. It would be so weird to be this late in the season and have to do a new bike setup. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> have to completely change all your equipment. I mean, I remember when we went from speed play pedals to time pedals and I, I still I had like two months to adjust and I still had knee problems going into the first race of the year. That's me. Some people are some people can transfer equipment like super easily, but I'm definitely not alone. A lot of people struggle to transfer equipment. Gracie, back me up. <laughs> uh, I agree with that, but I'm not one of those people. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm very robust. <laughs> <laughs> have, I'm delicate. um all right well speaking of robust people that was a terrible transition let's talk about gb to plue it was it was a great race per usual i love this race the last 15 kilometers was just relentless it was just like attack after attack after attack but i feel like a couple of the talking points of the day was just an incredible ride from suzanne anderson the first attack of the day and out there until like 10 kilometers to go she had some help in the beginning and all the way until kind of the the lap the circuits the last two circuits but she was out there on her own in the end and got swept up there was a really beautiful moment where uh rooster gave her a point pat on the back <laughs> good job little one <laughs> um but it was yeah it was such a great move and it was great to see uno x out there for so uh, on the attack like that and also Suzanne Anderson, I think it's an interesting kind of change for her in her career, having gone from DSM and being kind of one of the lead out women for Webus onto a new team that is a little bit more of a home hometown team um, as the Norwegian national champion. That team is very much like Scandinavian. So it's cool for her to be there. And it was great to see that move. And then, yeah, pretty much before she got back, brought back, but also after she got brought back, it was just 
many, many attacks. Probably the most dangerous attack from Liana Lippert with just under 10 kilometers to go. I thought for sure she had it, but the aggression from the peloton just never let up. And in the end, it was a reduced bunch sprint won by Misha Bredewalda. So another SC Works win, but arguably one of the most exciting of the year, I would say. <laughs> I didn't see it coming, especially with Balsamo in that group. No, I don't think many people would have seen it coming, but she obviously timed it to perfection. Um, but, yeah, going back um, just to what you were saying, Abby, like, yeah, definitely those last 15 kilometres were on. Like it was it was relentless and it was worth watching just for that maybe last 30K. You could see the setup into that. And um, it's one of those strange races where it doesn't look that hard on paper, but for some reason it's just pretty brutal. I went back and looked through the last 10 years of results because I was like, I feel like this is one of the bigger groups that have finished together at um, in the front for a while. Um, and, you know, 10 years ago it was solo winners, groups of 10 or 15 max, and the last four or five years it has increased uh, the, that front group, which tells us a lot about the strength, the depth in the women's peloton now because this course used to be a really selective, decisive course, and it was always, you know, Voss, Johansson, Diagnan, Elisa Longaborghini, like all the top names um, would be winning or thereabouts in the past. Um, I also think that it's maybe not as a prestigious race anymore as it used to be, not that it, it wasn't as hard to win, but I think this is a really great race now to see all of these riders at this point of the season that maybe didn't have to do some of those bigger blocks um, and they're getting their time to shine. So it wasn't just Spreaderwald that we were seeing. It was plenty of other really interesting names that haven't been flogged to death by this stage of the season and some of the younger riders too. So I think like the last few years we have been seeing some more interesting winners and slightly bigger uh, finish groups um, just the way it's raced, uh, the depth is getting better and the nature of the season and all of these newer, bigger races like the Tour de France farm and the classic season that's just more and more stacked every year. So, yeah, I, I do love this race. When I used to race it, I had a love-hate relationship with it because I would always be creeping at this point of the season, but it was one of those courses that I thought I could have done okay on. I just had lots of bad memories from this, but I like to watch it because it's it's so attritional and and way harder than it, it looks. So, um, yeah, it was cool to watch the finale today and see uh, who else was kind of showing their cards too. I still have nightmares about that chicane right after the start-finish line. Oh. You go <laughs> like a sharp left, sharp right, sharp left, and it's and then a right again, and that chicane is terrifying. Um, on that note, like riders that impressed in the, in the finale, but opposite from what you're saying, she did do a huge block, including the Tour de l'Avenir. I was really impressed with Sidrine Cabal, Cabal? who yep. was the best young rider at the tour, obviously, but she was on the attack like a ton in the final kilometers of the race, which was cool to see. I'm curious how long she's going to stay on Sarah Tizit WNT. And if that team is maybe going to go world tour next year, because they've never had the budget to, they've always been in the ranking, but they've never had the budget to be able to do it. So I wonder if next year they're going to try to make it happen because 
They've got riders like her. She signed through 2025, actually, with Saratiz at WNT. So that's a pretty long contract for a rider who's shown this much promise on a team that's, as far as I can tell, not interested in joining the world tour. Um, so talking about the sprint, which is, it's like a straight shot sprint, but it kind of kicks up a little bit and it's like really easy to fuck up. <laughs> and I think that a few riders... <laughs> over the years have hit out too early and you just die in those last 20 metres before the line. And so I'm always looking forward to the sprint as well. And because the group was um, about nearly 30 riders, it was like it was a proper sprint too. So um, there was a huge attack, another attack from Rusa right in the end coming into that last kilometre to go. And so she kind of did this really great job as a semi-lead out for her teammate in Breda Wald, but I didn't really see them talking that much. I'm not really sure what their real plan actually was, but it worked out for them. Um, I, I'd say that they were keeping Breda Wald pretty fresh because apparently she's quite fast and so it was a good shot for her and she nailed it. And she <laughs> nailed the, the she nailed the timing, but someone else had also nailed, nailed the timing and read it quite well that I was really impressed with was fourth place getter Ruby Roseman Gannon. And, of course, I'm a bit biased because she's Australian and I've been keeping an eye on her, but um, she was on the wheel of Breda World when she hit out and so they pretty much jumped at the same time you could just see that Ruby was just a little bit more fatigued and maybe just one gear too big. So I think that she would have taken a lot away, a lot of confidence away from her performance as well. Um, she is a fantastic bike racer. She really gets racing and you really need lots of experience at this top end to keep um keep that confidence up and I think she's had a bit of a rocky year so far so I think that was an awesome result for her to come away with a bit frustrating to not quite get on the podium but like I just wanted to give kudos to her because she did everything right in the finale just didn't quite have the the legs for the top three yeah as you said a, a tough year for her but also she's has managed uh 11 top fives this year so she's been right around the mark in a lot of different races mm. and I think, yeah, like you said, she'll take a lot of a lot away from Plouet, but I think she'll take a lot away from this season as a whole. And I hope that she sticks at it and and has people in her ear telling her that that win isn't far away because it doesn't feel like it is. It feels like she's right in the mix a lot. And uh, yeah, I hope she she takes a lot from this season and maybe comes back next season and and gets that big win and as we often see it often just takes one win to kind of open the floodgates and and create that self-belief and yeah she's not far away for sure but i think like Berta Zolo had an awesome sprint to take third she wasn't as well positioned and had a lot of speed coming through and had to kind of navigate a lot of people in front of her so i was impressed with that third place for her also and Marta Locke who's another Saratizit WNT rider, getting second for her. Saratizit sponsors the race, so for them having that, that jersey on the podium is kind of a big deal. Yeah, um, no. I want to talk a little more about Bredewald because mm. I completely forgot that this was her first year on SC Works. I feel like when I when I was chatting with her about her favorite Taylor Swift song, Wildest Dreams, outside of the SC Works bus at the Tour de France Femme, <laughs> um, she has this, like, She's very Dutch, has like this air of very serious 
ness to her. And so I just walked away from that conversation kind of in the back of my mind, like, oh, she's always been on this team. And it wasn't until I was writing the CMAC Ladies Tour preview that's on escapecollective.com, if you want to check it out, that I realized that she won the final stage of that race last year. So this wasn't even her first world tour win. It was her second. Yeah, a really exciting talent. Um, I I think we mentioned it before, but I was surprised that she was able to win from a group that big. Because if you look back at her previous results, uh, you know, her two wins this year were both one solo. Her other wins have been small groups, two, three, five riders. And as you said, Abby, with Balsamo in the group, um, yeah, I don't think many would have predicted her winning that. I wonder if the slightly uphill nature of it helped or if she is just sneakily faster than we gave her credit for. Uh, either way, a, a, an awesome result for sure. Speaking of Balsamo, she, Tre- Lidl Trek kind of did the most work of anybody. They really had riders on the front for most of the kilometers that we had a, a break, the customary break out front. They had um, Brody Chapman doing a ton of work with Lisa Klein on the front. And then Lizzie Dagnan really putting in a lot of work to make sure that nothing got away in the closing kilometers. And and then, yeah, Balsamo just didn't have it in the end. She ended up 15th, kind of started the sprint and then sat down and just shook her head and, yeah, let the race go. I was a little bit bummed to see that because I feel like Dagnan is riding so well that they maybe could have done some different tactics, um, something in line with, like, DSM Ferminich, who were super aggressive in in those circuits especially for Pfeiffer Georgie she was really aggressive and we also saw Juliette Labousse on the on the attack as well so there was a lot of they I think that they could have maybe done it a little bit differently just seeing how Balsamo sprinted but I also think she had to do a lot more work than obviously Braidwold had to do in the end especially like there was this moment that you saw Leanna Lippert attack and then it was Brucer and Balsamo on the front and they just kind of looked at each other and like shook their heads <laughs> and and Balsamo was looking around like where are my teammates but at that point Lidl Trek had done so much work that there was none left eventually Amanda Spratt came back to take it on the front a bit but some yeah interesting stuff going on over there on the American team did anyone notice too that Audrey like did something weird in the sprint I watched it like over and over again she like swung into someone and I can't remember what happened now, but yeah, I watched that sprint like 10 times from above. Cause I was trying to figure out who did what and when, and I ca- couldn't take my eyes off Audrey. Cause she just, I don't know. Yeah. She just swung real hard into another rider. <laughs> didn't, didn't quite nail it. This is her like hometown race and she there's always some Audrey drama that comes out of this race. Like I remember one year when I think it was maybe the first year she was on trek, she was saying something outside the bus to a friend, like something about how she was annoyed with the tactics because they'd been riding for I think Elisa or something and she'd really wanted the team to race for her. And there was a journalist like standing there who like recorded what she was saying and put it on cycling news. And it was this whole big drama in the Trek camp because then like Audrey had to apologize and they were like in contact with cycling news. Like you have to take this down. She was like chatting with a friend and you published it. Like she was talking 
like to you, which wasn't the case. And so it was really interesting, but yeah, I feel like there's, I feel like with this race, there's always something with, with Audrey because <laughs> she just cares so much about this race. Yeah. Well, it wasn't bad. It wasn't a big boo-boo, but I was like, oh, it could have been bad. <laughs> yeah. She also attacked earlier in the race. Um, I can't yeah, remember I was gonna exactly say where that was, but her she, attack up on the grass. On the grass yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, mm, pretty sure you're not supposed to do that, but anyway, whatever. <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's some interesting moves. I mean, overall, I think this race was interesting. And it was exciting to watch, especially, like you said, Gracie, the last 30K. But I think it suffered a bit from being post-Worlds because it's it's never going to be, like, in a normal year, it's pre-Worlds, so it's kind of like a tune-up. And this year, obviously, that's that's not the case. So it was definitely a different set of people who showed up to the race, different tactics that were that were used. And, yeah, but still just super exciting for me. I feel a bit like that with all of the racing that's happened after Worlds, to be honest. That should be over. It it just (laughs) feels like it was such a conclusion. Everything built towards that, particularly being the Super Worlds with all the disciplines there, it felt like a kind of natural culmination. And then, yeah, we've got Simak this week and then still got Romandy and then the Chinese races and, like, it just, just goes on and on. It was like last year when everyone just kind of forgot that Roman D and the women's tour existed because the women's tour was moved to the end of the season. And I was writing like the race reports for both of those races that are getting like 12 clicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that there's plenty of riders that are a bit over it, but there's there's plenty of other riders that are using this as a great opportunity to get some results. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like for Misha, she won her first world tour one day it was a huge result for her she was obviously really excited never in her wildest dreams would she have seen this coming nice Nice. (laughs) well done i wrote it in the race report and i was like no one is gonna know what reference i'm referencing you should have linked back to the taylor swift story that you wrote i i really should have matt you should be my editor (laughs) i should we should look into that (laughs) um all right, should we should we talk a little bit about the other race that was going on last week that we didn't get to watch, no live coverage of it yet, however, hopefully in the future, but is a huge, in my opinion, a huge step forward in the development of women's cycling. We had the first ever women's Tour de l'Avenir, a U23 race. It was five stages. It had some really incredible riders on the start line. Sidrine Cabal was there for France. We had... Neve Bradbury was there for Australia, Julia DeWild for Belgium, Magdalene, the Canadian rider on EF Tivco SVB. The British team was not arguably the strongest with Anna Shackley. Uh, we had uh, Alice Towers, Abby Smith, Zoe Backstead, and Antonia Niedermeyer for Germany, Guy Riolini for Italy, Van Anroy and Femme Van Empel for the Netherlands. Kaya Schmidt, who is an incredible U.S. racer. She raced on human-powered health for two years, but she was also second at the Worlds in uh, in Leuven. So, yeah, really exciting. Up-and-coming talent who's had a bit of a rough go on human-powered health. Naomi Rugg for the Swiss. And I think, like, when it comes to the start list, the, the major bummer for me was no team from New Zealand with how much young talent they have. Um, like, obviously, they have Neve Fisher-Black, one of the podcast favorites, but they, they also have a lot of other riders. I think they could have put together a team that would have rivaled the British team 
for me. So I was a little bummed that they didn't they didn't have anyone there. Yeah, Kim Kadzar that we talked about last week would obviously have been a, a great selection for that team. And do we know why the Kiwis didn't field a squad? I would assume it's budget related. Would yeah, because I think going to a five day race in France for a smaller nation, that budget would be hard to find. Um like most of the teams that the the nations that fielded teams are nations that have at least some budget and i think for the kiwis it's not they don't have a ton um from what i know and like especially having it happen after worlds i know like for a lot of nations worlds this year was a massive strain on the budget um like everyone complained last year about australia <laughs> but that was really only the flights and the everything in Glasgow was expensive. And for a lot of nations, having to be in, in Glasgow for 10 days was, yeah, a huge chunk of budget gone um, with the way that everything was spread out. Yeah, one of the downsides of Super Worlds, hey, the fact that there's just so little accommodation. You saw some riders posting on social media in the lead up looking for accommodation and yeah, I wonder if that'll be looked at for the next Super Worlds in, what, four years? I think it's in France somewhere. At least France is a little bit more affordable. And also, yeah, they they had, like, a lot of nations were staying, like, an hour and a half away from Glasgow because they, like, couldn't find anything near the city that was within the budget. Uh, but, I mean, yeah. Anyway. Uh, Antonia Niedermeyer won the opening TT in the U23 World Champion jersey, which is pretty cool. The the U23 World Champs don't get to wear those jerseys all that often, so pretty cool for her like a week, two weeks after winning that to be able to pull it on and then win in it, which was pretty rad. Um, Linda Zetti, the Swiss rider, won the sprint ahead of Julie DeWild and Femme Van Empel on the second stage, but Femme Van Empel got her revenge and took the third stage from a reduced peloton. As we probably would have expected, Guy Rialini won when the climbs started <laughs> stage four with Sharon Van Anroy taking second and Anna Shackley coming in third. Um, pretty impressive performance by Anna Shackley, but we'll get to that in just a second. Sharon Van, Anpo- Van Anroy won the fifth stage by almost two and a half minutes over Anna Shackley and took the overall. So the the European U23 world, the U, U23 European champion First ever winner of the women's Tour de l'Avenir. Yeah, like you said, the seeing Niedermeyer wear the under-23 world champs skin suit was great. Getting to see Van Enroy wear the Euro champs jersey was great. There's just not that many opportunities on the calendar to do that. So to see that was awesome. Um, we should say Niedermeyer was leading the race all the way until that stage five. She was 14 seconds clear even after that climbing stage that Riolini won. And it was only on that final stage where she blew up. And um, I think she and uh, somebody else marked themselves out of the race was the report that I read a bit further down the field. And then she had a bad day. And um, so, yeah, disappointing way for her to to not win that race, I guess. But uh, I think she continues to show that she's a, a massive talent who's really really put herself in the spotlight this season with that Giro Dono stage win and then and then the world, t- world title as well. So, uh, yeah, so much to look forward to in her future and for German cycling, I think, with her and Bound Find, among others. 
I don't, I think she lost maybe six minutes on that stage on that final stage. Um, she finished with Fem Van Empel, the the two of them together, um, fourth and fifth. So still top five, but yeah, six and a half minutes back and ended up fourth overall. And Anna Shackley, who's such an exciting rider from Great Britain, Scottish, got to race in her on her home roads in Glasgow, taking second overall. I think is awesome for her. She was pretty vocal before the race about, or at least she did an interview before the race about how hard it is to go from the junior ranks where you're winning into the elite ranks all of a sudden, and then have your confidence really knocked by the fact that you're racing against Mariana Voss and it's, you're kind of just holding on to get 50th. So I was pretty excited to see Anna Shackley up there as well. Yeah, it's it's so different. Like it's obviously good exposure to be doing those world tour races to see what the level is and and what the racing is. But like to get your head knocked in year after year, and you're not really learning how to win in those last kilometers. Um, it really makes or breaks a lot of riders, unfortunately. Um, the ones that do make it sometimes will never know how to win because they kind of get pigeonholed into these roles because they were this up-and-coming junior star and then they didn't quite get those results early on and so then they become domestiques or just don't quite get that support to go for bigger results later. Um, Some riders just don't make it at all, which is the worst part. So, yeah, it's so awesome to see them having this opportunity um, as an under-23 race not even just a lower level race, but yeah, junior race. It's it's fantastic. Hopefully we see more. I'd love to see this kind of race be like the men see it almost like a draft pick for the world tour teams um, in the next season or two. It's quite late in the season. A lot of the top teams have already filled their rosters by now for next year. Um, so hopefully they've taken note of some of these riders for future years um, and some of the smaller teams or other teams that haven't quite filled out their rosters yet can snap them up and that will just be creating better depth across all teams ultimately anyway. And a lot of the riders that we saw succeed at this race are on world tour teams already but I hope that with the with more development teams being added and a second tier being introduced in 2025 I hope that the next step is that world tour teams aren't able to do the smaller level races so that riders on those development teams and in, in the pro tour pro yeah, pro tour teams and continental teams get a chance to succeed without kind of being stomped on by like world tour teams that have a pretty thick calendar already. We still have, them showing up to a lot of the lower level races and it doesn't help the development very much. So yeah, I think it's a huge step forward to have this race. I'd like to see like more than just this on the calendar, but more than anything, I would just really like to see them lean into this as part of what is going to help the, the base of women's cycling in the future. We talk about it all the time, but it's, it's so important. Yep. I'd love to see um, at least one one day race earlier in the year around the classics time or maybe like just post classics like in May uh, where the world champion of under 23s can wear the stripes in a race and they can have a nice one day classic as well as a stage race later in the year. 
Like a U23 Flanders. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You look at the men's side and there's a lot of opportunities for the under 23 men in that regard. You know, that those sort of races also a bunch of Italian one days that are, are seen as real proving grounds for the up and comers. So uh, yeah, it'd be great to see more of that on the women's side for sure. I give the UCI a hard time a lot of the time because they have done a really great job at some things, but really lacked at a lot of other things. But I do think that they are paying attention to some of the major issues in women's cycling and like maybe they don't go about it the right way, like introducing a U23 world's Jersey, but adding it to the women's race. The thought was there. Um, and we will get a standalone race in 2025, which we are slowly approaching and like having another tier and stuff like that. And so I, yeah, I'm wondering what their next step is going to be, but I just hope that they're paying attention to the kind of the, problem now of the amount of races on the calendar that are just completely bulldozed by the world tour teams that aren't world tour races because i think that that's yeah the like riders like anna shackley need a chance to win like sharon van anroy wins world tour races already <laughs> but there are a lot of other riders that are u23 that don't get that opportunity don't have that that talent that they need to win for for th- other things than just being able to know how, but like confidence. Uh, Kaya Schmidt said before the race that she she's not been on a podium in, I think, two, three years, and it's really knocked her confidence a ton. And when you're struggling in races just to finish in the top 50 or just to finish when it comes to the spring classics, it like it's really hard to keep that motivation going. And I think for young riders coming into the sport that have to go straight from the juniors into the world tour, motivation and keeping confidence is really, really hard. So I hope that this can help build their confidence. Yeah. Agreed. This and more. Um, <laughs> Stay tuned. It's more probably to come. also on it's probably <laughs> also on race organizers too, isn't it? You know, it's not just the UCI. We need to <clears throat> excuse me, see more race organizers willing to put on under 23 women's races like the Tour de l'Avenir was able to do this year. And I think they, they were kind of nudged in that direction or they were given some assistance by sponsors to to strike out in that direction finally. But yeah, maybe yeah maybe more needs to be done by race organizers to really lead the charge and, and put those events on rather than it coming from above. Yeah, it's interesting because you have races like, I mean, uh, Turingen was vocal this year about how they want the best riders to show up to their race so they want to be world tour which is like a facepalm moment because you're like, oh, but it's such a great race for non-world tour teams to get an opportunity because there are world tour teams that show up, but it's it's not always the top teams this year. Uh, obviously, SC Works showed up and won every stage with a different rider every day, but <laughs> in years past, like that's not been the case. And so there needs to be some kind of incentive for races to be able to... I don't know. That's not just like out of the goodness of their heart because at a certain point that I don't know what the answer is though. It's above my pay grade. (laughs) Same. I thought we were going to solve the issue tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I need like two more coffees if that's the case. Should we just do a really quick preview for the CMAC ladies tour and then 
wrap this bad boy up. Can we talk about Mariana Voss quickly? Oh, yeah. Uh, I completely forgot about that in the news portion. Matt, you want to take it? Yeah, well, I think we got some answers about why she hasn't been at her best this year. She's She's gone in for, went in for surgery last week for, on her iliac artery and said that she'd been struggling with it for quite a while. I assume it was the same one she had surgery on in February this year, the same same injury. Uh, could be wrong on that, but oh, either way, we've. I feel like, yeah, it gives us a little bit of context about why she hasn't been at her best this year, and uh, seems like it's been an issue for quite a while for her, so hopefully this gets things sorted out and she'll be back next year. She's said that she's very motivated to come back and be back at her best next year, so... Let's hope she can do that because, as we've spoken about many times, uh, when she's in full flight, it's a it's a pretty amazing thing to watch. Yeah, I, I'm glad we got some answers because um, I was concerned since she's one of my favorite writers of all time. I was concerned that maybe it was the, we were reaching the end of the Voss um, era, but thank God we're not. <laughs> There's more Voss to come in the future. It will never end. <laughs> <laughs> How old is she now? Thirty two. Nah. Sounds right. She's like, I thought she was 35. 36, wow, okay. Oh, wow, 36? Yeah, I thought she was a year older than me. Mm. I just found a a media report from February this year um, saying that it was an iliac artery constriction that she had surgery for earlier this year. So, yeah, not sure if it's the same thing, but, um, yeah, that would – that would uh, make sense given she said she's been struggling with it for a lot of the season. Uh, it wasn't until Taylor Wiles had the surgery on both of her iliac arteries last year, only to find out that neither of the surgeries were successful this year, that I realized that I found out that you can have the surgery and it can have no effect on the iliac artery um, endofibrosis, which is pretty devastating for Taylor, who is retiring, obviously, but for other people as well. There's been so many riders who have got that iliac artery surgery and come back way, way stronger. Like Van Vluten is probably the easiest example. Yeah, it's it's a very risky surgery. It's a huge amount of recovery and, yeah, no guarantees. So it's a pretty tough decision to make to have it in the first place. Some riders do manage their um, symptoms and problems just with physiotherapy and lots of rehabby type stuff, but... Sometimes it's not enough, but yeah, frustrating if it wouldn't work. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Mariana Voss has had it before in the past too, like years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm i pretty sure as well. A couple years, like five years ago maybe or something. Mm. A while ago. More than that. I wonder if it has to do with like bike fit. Uh, I mean, we are not the ones to answer these questions. <laughs> um <laughs> But it does seem like riders who have that problem that it does eventually come back, like down the road. I she's not the first rider that I know of that's that's had to have a second surgery. I do know that the the price has almost doubled though for that surgery because it's more common, which is a bit shitty. <laughs> I love that for people. No, <laughs> it's like the price of. That's a terrible example. I'm just not even going to say it out loud. Okay. <laughs> Should we talk about the CMAC Ladies Tour? A race that was forgotten in my mind, but is definitely happening this week. And I also forgot how exciting last year was because we had uh, 
two stage wins by Weebus, but we also had a solo victory from Rihanna Marcus. We had the final stage. It was a two-up sprint, um, won by Bredewald. So, and Audrey Cordon Margot won the time trial. Um, so it came down to like 10 seconds in the end for Weebus to take the overall. So I forgot that it was it was actually quite an exciting couple days of racing in the Netherlands last year. This year, we start with a prologue, 2.4 kilometer long prologue and move into a stage race that is very flat. There's a couple climbs, but it's in the Netherlands, so they're overpasses at best. And then they go on to Belgium for one day where they race a 7.2 kilometer long time trial in Leuven, which Kopecky is gonna be stoked about that. And then stage three, a road stage that is a little bit lumpy, but stage four is the the really exciting stage in Valkenburg, which finishes on the Cowberg and is up and down all day long. If you are like, oh man, I cannot watch bike racing this week, you should definitely watch the stage on Saturday because that's going to be an awesome stage. And then the final stage is like two cremesses. They basically do like a cremesse and then they ride over and do another cremesse. <laughs> uh, it's a 150 kilometer long stage. So it's going to be, yeah, pretty exciting. I think that day as well. The start list is jam packed, especially SD works. Uh, they may have showed up to GP to Plue with not their A team besides Royster. Um, they still won it, but They've got their A-team at the C-Mac Ladies Tour with Lada Kopecky, Demi Vollering, and the defending champion, Lorena Weavis. So that is a hard trio to beat. <laughs> On any stage. Imagine if <laughs> Literally they won- every single stage. Imagine if they won every stage. That would just be taking the piss, but they probably could. No, I mean, but th- they probably will. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they've got, like, the first stage could be either Kopecky or Weavis, because it's that short effort is great for the sprinters. And I feel like if you're looking at that first stage, Matt and I did a bit of a chat that's in the preview on the website. If you want to read it, we talk a little bit about, I mean, everything. But if you're looking at that first stage, like I think maybe that is the only stage where I feel they could be beaten. And that's because there's a lot of track riders right now that are really, really strong coming off of worlds that are seeing that 2.4 kilometer long prologue as their chance to win a stage of a world tour race like Georgia Baker, for example, will be riding super well on that stage. I feel like. Yeah, definitely. That's going to be a good, good stage, good close stage. It's today. By the time you listen to this podcast, it's over the stage. You'll know whether or not SC works or Georgia Baker won. (laughs) (laughs) But I also feel like given the course coming off of Suzanne Anderson's amazing ride at GP to Plue, I'm actually one of the riders I'm most excited about in this race is Eleanor Barker. She was riding super well on the track at Worlds. And I feel like with the short, flat time trial and the prologue, and really all she has to do is just hold on for the rest of it. And I don't think she can win the thing overall, but I do think that Uno X might get their first World Tour stage race podium at the end of this week. It's a big call. I'd love to see it. I just got a lot of nodding and Matt's eyebrows went all the way to his hairline. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it'd be great to see, obviously. But I'm not sure that prologue is going to be as decisive as you think it is. Uh, I don't think it's going to be decisive. I think, but I think it will set the stage for 
what's to come. Maybe. I think Kapeki <laughs> just rides away from everyone on stage four and blows it apart. I don't know. Oh, hopefully not, but. I think stage, yeah, stage four is definitely the stage that is going to decide the race. Um, It's very much like a Amstel Gold type course, so like an Ardennes race. So I think, like Matt said in our preview on the site, escapecollective.com, we're probably not going to see minutes after that stage, but there is going to be gaps. It's, I think this, this race is going to be harder to win than last year's CMAC Ladies Tour. But I still think that the way that Weebus was riding at Tour Scandinavia, especially that second stage that she won, um, I don't, I'm, I don't know what SC Works is going to do, well, what they're planning to do. But I wouldn't be surprised if they have uh, Demi Volering in more of like a domestic role at this race, working for Weebus, um, given all the work that Weebus has done for her all year long. I think that once we get to this, <laughs> Matt furrowed brow crosses arms. Uh, once we get to this <laughs> stage in the season, that's when we see roles like that kind of switch up a bit in races because it's there's less on the line. Yeah, I agree. I just, I wonder about the Kalberg. I think Webus is obviously climbing super well, but the stage finishes at the top of the Kalberg and it's a really hard climb. So... Is she good enough to be at the front up there? Because I think you have to be in the top couple riders to win the tour. Like, I don't think she's going to make up enough time anywhere else. So I could be wrong. I mean, if she if she wins this race overall, when it has a stage that finishes atop the Kalberg, then good on her. But I I am skeptical. Yeah, I don't. We think have to talk that about Anamie Van Vluten as well. Yeah. Sorry, Gracie. No, I just, I don't think that she can do it either. I think that she wants to prove that she's not just a sprinter, but there's Anamik Van Vluten, which was the good segue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if Anamik can also win this tour either, but she's certainly going to be making it extremely difficult on that stage four and that final. So like whoever's still there is, is going to be some of the better climbers. Yeah. I think it really depends how much of an impact a seven kilometer long time trial can have on the overall, it's not long. So I feel like, yeah, for Anamik, she's gonna have a really hard time winning this, her last race, but she has said that she's not going for GC. And I think for her, like she's just wants to end her career on Dutch roads, which mm. I, I, I feel almost that. like, I. I I mean, it's on a meek, so of course you don't know about it. But I feel a little <laughs> bit like I don't. I feel a little in denial, like <laughs> about her finishing. Yeah, I don't know. It's gonna be. It's gonna be it's weird. Gonna isn't feel it? weird. Yeah, like when even like Tour de Romandie, like maybe it won't feel weird because perhaps she wouldn't have raced it anyway. But when we get to like Strada next year, and I'm writing out the preview, and I don't have to write Anamik Van Vluten, winner of. 20 Strada Bianchi's in her career, then it's going to be, it's going to feel really odd. Mm. <laughs> Weirder than Anna Vanderbregen retiring. I'll, I won't lie. She's been around for a really that, long time. Yeah. Like Vanderbregen retiring felt like a fitting, like it was a fitting moment in her career to kind of like P- yeah, sidle off someone. into the team car. Yeah. But mm. like Van Vluten is just. She's such a formidable, like, slightly terrifying, but also, like, quite bubbly 
I don't know. She's just like. <laughs> I think as good as Van der Breggen was, and she was amazing, I think Van Vluten at her very best dominated the sport in a way that few have. And so I think we'll feel that loss more keenly. Um, she hasn't mm. been that dominant this year, obviously, but I think at her peak, you know, there were times where she would start the unbackable favorite and she, you know, no one could do anything about it. So she still destroyed yeah. the Giro. Mm. Yeah. Maybe it was the tour that really had me like, oh man, the end. Yeah. The end. <laughs> that was definitely a, a taste of the end. So I don't know. I'd love mm. to see her get a stage win at least, if not the overall, that would be a really nice way to finish it off. And she had a really nice post on Instagram uh, yesterday, just, you know, saying that the Holland Ladies Tour was one of the first pro races she got to do and um, a few nice things about her dad who is no longer with us. So it holds a really sentimental spot for her. So it's, I just hope that she has a good week and that she gets to finish the race mm. and that there's no mechanicals or crashes or anything like that. She can enjoy it. She can experience the emotions. She can experience the pats on the back and all of those nice things that she deserves. Um, I've got good memories of racing with her there and helping her win that tour a couple of times. So yeah, I'll be watching with good feelings as well and um, gratitude because it was pretty cool being a teammate of her sometimes. So then it's been cool to also commentate on her and talk on this podcast about her. And like you guys have just said, like it's, she's, she's left this mark on the sport that not many other people have. So we definitely have to pay our respect and credit to her this week. Is there any chance she gets to the end of this season? And I've raised this before, but is there any chance she gets to the end of this season and goes, Mm, not quite done yet and goes back around for another year. I feel like I th- I think I thought that before chatting with Iris at the tour, but I think talking to Iris at the tour that it kind of, I don't know, it felt like for someone who's way closer to Anamique than us, obviously, that it sounds like she's done. What do you reckon, Grace? You know her pretty well. I'd say she's done, yeah, I think. She's made the decision in her mind and she's really carried herself with a lot of pride this year. She's been a a gracious winner and a gracious uh, rider in defeat. And I think that she's done it. She's lifted every stone. She's left no stone unturned in her career and this year. And I think she is going to walk away with her head held high and I'm sure she still has some feelings of what could have been. I think I don't think there's an athlete in the world that doesn't feel that, and she probably just feels it slightly less than some of the rest of us. So I think she'll be okay with that. Well, we'll definitely talk about her more next week. Um, before we talk about really quickly what we're obsessed with, I just want to mention a couple other riders on the start list. We've got Rihanna Marcus who has been amazing this year, maybe not so much in this tail end of the season, but she won a stage last year. There's a time trial, so definitely worth keeping an eye on. Trin Van Anroy is, is back, clearly on flying form. Kashini Madoma is back in the peloton after uh, the Tour de France Femme. Didn't get to race Worlds because of a viral infection, but she's won Amstel Gold Race, so I think worth having her in mind for that fourth stage. Lucinda Brand, Charlotte Cool for the sprints. 
So we're going to have uh, Weebus, Cool, and Balsamo all sprinting against each other. So that will be pretty fun. Anna Henderson coming off a storming ride at the TT at Worlds where she got fourth. So excited for that. Fight for Georgie, who had an awesome ride, obviously, uh, at GP to Plouay. I mentioned Eleanor Barker and Alexander Manley. So I feel like overall the start list, very exciting. We're in for five good days of racing. So keep an eye on GCN Plus for the coverage escapecollective.com for the race reports by yours truly and any other analysis and stuff. Abby, you said, Abby, you said we're in for five good days of racing. It's a six stage race. So I'm just wondering which stage you don't think is going to be the good one. Is it the prologue you're not looking forward to? Actually, I am looking forward to the prologue. No, I would say um, stage three. Yeah. The stage after the time trial. That looks like a pretty boring stage. No, I'm just kidding. I forgot it was six (laughs) days. All right. Matt, what are you obsessed with lately? Oh, put me on the spot. Um, (laughs) So a few months ago, I talked about a sci-fi book series I've been reading called The Expanse. Um, I finally finished it this week uh, after I reckon probably a year I reckon it's taken me reading other stuff in between as well but nine books plus a collection of short stories which I finished this week um it's just unbelievable and I finished it I think it was actually last night finished it while I was lying in bed and just kind of had a moment of just feeling quite um sad about it being over you know you you spend so long living with these characters and in this world um and you know this world, this, the world of the of this the series, you know, lasts several decades, and you meet you know different generations and all this kind of thing, and you get quite invested in it. So I feel quite, uh, yeah, quite sad to be leaving that behind, um, and very much on the lookout for good sci-fi that is on the same level. For anyone that's listening that's got good recommendations, please let me know on Discord. I am looking for good. Uh, recommendations but i'm excited that i still have a couple of seasons of the tv show to get through so that gives me a little bit of uh of breathing room to to get over the fact that i've now finished the series you could ring, read fourth wing now <laughs> yes I, i've had multiple people tell me that i need to read fourth wing uh how would you describe it abby it's fantasy is that uh romanticy is that <laughs> romanticy sounds it? right romanticy? Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally yeah I learned that word this week. I didn't realize it was a thing, but it's very much a thing, apparently. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very much that. It's like for anyone who likes Sarah J. Mass, you'll also like Fourth Wing. Yeah, it's on my list to read. I'm looking forward to it. Have you read Sarah J. Mass? I haven't. My partner has, and she adores her. Um, mm. But I just you haven't yet. You would get along been... really well. You really would, yeah. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> Someday we'll meet. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I would recommend Fourth Wing. It you'll feel embarrassed reading it, um, but it's because it's like I don't know, young adult, but it's still Gracie. Um, I'll just say something that I wanted to say a few weeks ago, but I ended up saying something else, and then we talked about the World Cup. So it's a bit of an I'm not obsessed with it quite anymore because I finished it and. Uh, I watched the first or the only two seasons of this show called Heartstopper. I don't know if you guys have watched it, but it's like so sweet. 
And I don't know, I just it just made me feel really good. It was just like this, speaking of young adult, it was based around two young teenage boys and their group of friends and figuring out your sexuality and all this stuff. But I just thought that they just, and it comes from a series of books, I believe, young adult books. Um, and I just felt like it was a lot of big topics handled really well and um, some TV shows I hate when they like really force the awkwardness and these big scenarios that you need to get through and everything's okay at the end. Like they just don't do that. It's just like this like nice ebb and flow of tough things but handled with like care and love and empathy and some of the parental characters were really nice as well. So I really liked that. <laughs> That's Very great. Good. Um, I don't know. Mine might be like kind of, uh, obvious, <laughs> but I'm obsessed with my daughter. Um, <laughs> I'm always obsessed with her every week, but like 10 days ago or so she started walking and now she runs everywhere and she doesn't have the stability, but she wants to go fast. And so she just runs places and just falls over and pops back up and, keeps running and now she won't let me carry her anywhere she insists on walking herself but she's not great at it and I just I feel that I've entered just this really amazing point of her childhood where it's been quite hard up to this point like they can't communicate obviously and really do anything without you but like there's been a couple moments the last week where her personality is starting to come through and like the other day she was super quiet and I was hanging laundry and I was like man I wonder what she's doing and I walked around the corner and she was just like sat in her reading nook just like looking through a book and I was like holy crap <laughs> my kid is so freaking cool so <laughs> I am obsessed <laughs> I'm obsessed with Lila <laughs> that's sweet that's lovely the the walking thing is such a, a big step. Obviously, I mean, no pun intended, but literally it's <laughs> such a, a big developmental stage, but also it just it opens up their world so much, doesn't it? Their, their independence and their ability to, yeah, to just have that freedom to move around themselves is such a big thing. And I think it's easy to take that for granted. And um, you, know, you talk there about uh, being able to communicate and, yeah, my boy's picking up new words at a shocking rate of knots at the moment and it's amazing to see that development and uh just seeing him be able to describe the world around him and ask for what he wants rather than just pointing and yeah it's it's quite an amazing thing i i knew i would look forward to i knew i would enjoy this particular time but seeing that developmental leap uh yeah pretty amazing you've you got that look to look forward to as well abby so recommend yeah, it. <laughs> I feel like I've loved every single stage that she's been in even even the hard ones but I love every new stage the most um like this morning I dropped her off at daycare and she they have like a little book they record like her nap how she naps and it, what she eats and everything in and she just like grabbed the book for me and just like walked down the hallway to her daycare class like all by herself and I was just like okay bye <laughs> you're only 15 months old what is this <laughs> um but man is it cool um to watch yeah it's you know you like you give birth to these these little people and you have no idea what they're gonna turn into so <laughs> um when it finally starts to peep through it's pretty rad agreed all right 
Well, let's wrap it up. Thanks everyone for listening to this Wheel Talk podcast. We'll be back next week to talk about the CMAC Ladies Tour. The season's almost done. And so are we. <laughs> 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 uh.